Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Ellis. Well, good morning. And on this Monday morning, it's always great to start off by a reminder that the First Amendment protects the freedom not just to speak, the freedom to associate, the free exercise of religion, but also the freedom of the press, yes, even the press, and the right to petition the government for redress of grievances. And protecting the freedom of the the press and petitioning the government for redress is exactly what African journalist Simon Ataba is doing. He filed a federal lawsuit on Thursday against White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre and the Secret Service, accusing them of unconstitutionally rescinding his press badge following a series of briefing room disputes. This is what Newsmax had to say about that. This is cut one. African White House correspondent Simon Atiba filing a lawsuit Thursday against White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. Atiba accused the White House of violating his First Amendment rights by revoking his hard press pass, uh, stating, quote, the press, does, the press does not just include a small class of elite journalists credentialed by one another. The First Amendment guarantees protection of the public's right to engage in constitutionally protected press activity. Hard passes allow for journalists to gain access to White House press events, including press conferences, important access for smaller media. In May, the White House announced that it was restricting who could receive a hard pass. After changing its rules of eligibility for journalists, Atiba, along with over 440 other reporters, officially lost their credentials on August 1st. Simon Atiba has, uh, has had a few notable clashes with Corinne Jean-Pierre in the press room. Watch. Discriminating against me for the past nine months. Stop. If this continues, we're going to end the press briefing. If this continues, you're being incredibly rude. No, I just, I literally just tried to answer your question. You shut me down. So now your colleague is going to. Let me answer the question first before you answer. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you tomorrow. She has a valid question. She's asking about the origin of COVID. I hear the question. Dr. Fauci is the best person I, to answer. I hear your question, but we're not doing this the way you want it. This is a disrespect. It, it is. I'm done. Simon, I'm done. I'm Simon, I'm done. I'm done with you right now. All right. So after a lot of clash, uh, now there is a lawsuit that was filed by our good friend, attorney Harmeet Dillon, who, of course, you will remember as uh, running for the chair of the Republican National Committee. Uh, but she's an excellent lawsuit. She ran against uh, or an excellent lawyer. She ran against uh, Harmeet or uh, she ran against uh, Ronna McDaniel. Sorry for the chair of uh, the Republican National Committee. And she is representing 
uh, Simon Itiba, who joins me now. So, uh, Simon, great to talk with you. And I think this is such an important lawsuit because the freedom of the press uh, to go into that briefing room and actually ask questions like you're asking of Crane Jean-Pierre um, really needs to be protected because uh, the White House shouldn't just change the qualifications to get credentialed to go in there based on you know some arbitrary metric that excludes you and other journalists. Yes, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, you know, this is not about me. It's about the freedom of the press and the ability to do the job. The public has a right to know and the journalist has a duty to tell. And when I go to the White House press briefing room, it's just to do my job, ask the tough questions, ask the right question, the questions that the American people really care about. And when you do that, it discriminate against you. They try to sideline you. And in the end, they try to kick you out. So this, what the White House did on May 5th, trying to change the rules, they actually didn't do their homework. They asked journalists like myself, who wanted to renew their hard pass to be credentialed by the Supreme Court Press Gallery first. But the Supreme Court Press Gallery doesn't actually do that because they have only 25 journalists who cover them full time. And for them to give you a hard pass, you need to be there every single day, every single time. And you can cover the Supreme Court and cover the White House at the same time. They also ask us to either to also get a credential uh, by Congress but it takes a very long time for Congress to credential new applicants. So in the, it can take up to a year. So effectively what they did, they didn't do their homework and they asked uh, people covering the executive branch of government to get credentialed by other branches of government, Congress and the Supreme Court, which is unconstitutional. Yeah, and, and that really doesn't make sense, as you've just articulated. And so this has affected you and also a number of other journalists. Um, is there a clear disparity between uh, who they're now keeping out, such as yourself, um, who clearly clashes with the current administration versus the journalists that they do uh, want in the briefing room who maybe are asking the questions that the current administration or the press secretary prefer? Yes, exactly. First of all, I was targeted. If you read the New York Post, you read the Washington Post, and you read other newspapers, including the New York Times, you realize that they wanted to kick Simon Atiba out. They wanted to target me specifically. But beyond me, if you watch the press briefings on television, where you realize they are mainly rigged, the people who get the questions are the same people. People who actually want to ask the right question really, really get called on. For instance, my my friend uh, Stephen Nelson from the New York Post, who is doing an incredible job, usually doesn't get called on because he's going to ask about Hunter Biden, cocaine in the White House, and other key questions that the American people really care about. Uh, my friend Diana Gleblova of Daily Caller doesn't get called on. Uh, and my colleague from the Jeff Murdoch of the Washington Times does again called on, and other people, including the, you know, Jeff uh, uh, James Rosen from Newsmax. If you realize all those names I just listed, they are people on the right. They represent conservative news outlets. She doesn't call on them because they are going to ask her the right questions. Those are the people who were actually targeted. Um, so it, it, you know, as I said a few months ago, it's a shame that she's doing this. She has no disrespect for the First Amendment. 
It's not about me. It's not, I don't need to be friendly with people in the White House. I need to, it's about question, asking the question that the American people really care about and the American allies really care about. But when you do that, when you ask the real question, when you decide to be a journalist who doesn't send questions in advance for President Biden to read, what happens to you is they try to silence you. They are trying to silence me because I'm trying to do my job. And this is really unfortunate. And as, as I said a few months ago, this is not China. And this is not Russia. And, you know, I believe that the reason the U.S. is still the most advanced country in the world is because of the First Amendment, the freedom that we enjoy in the U.S. that virtually no other country in the world enjoys. Uh, and, you know, it's sad I'm realizing that maybe uh, I'm too optimistic. Well, so well said. And I um, I know that I and, and other um, Americans who want to know the answers to these questions and want journalists to actually do their job, which is to ask the administration the difficult questions, ask about Hunter Biden, ask about cocaine in the White House, ask about, you know, what's going on uh, with with Joe Biden and not protecting the border, ask what's going on with Kamala Harris and, you know, not doing her job, asking all of these things instead of just being uh, basically the fourth estate or another branch of government or the mouthpiece for the administration, the press needs to uh, to be in not not necessarily opposition, but at least independent of the administration. And so uh, what you're describing, uh, Simon Ateba, really makes sense um, in terms of the journalist's job. And that's exactly what the American people should expect and also what your uh, your own publisher should expect. And so with these other outlets that you mentioned, um, you know, Daily Caller, uh, Newsmax and others, I mean, these are all conservative outlets. Um, are they, to your knowledge, have they either joined the suit with you? Are they planning to also contest uh, their exclusion as well? No, no. So most of those outlets that I mentioned, they are still in the briefing room, but she doesn't just call on them. So she keeps them in the briefing room, but she rarely calls on them. And and so what you do effectively is you read the press briefing. You make sure that the questions that the American people get to hear during briefings are the questions that have been sent in advance. Uh, there are 442 journalists who lost their hard passes. and But the person who was mainly targeted by the new policy was myself. And, you know, I went to court uh, with, you know, the help of my lawyers lawyers because you know i believe that this is not about me it's about the first amendment the freedom of the press president biden is in power today tomorrow it may be president trump it may be someone else in the next few decades or the next few years and the president who is in the white house shouldn't have the authority to dictate who covers them he doesn't need to like their publication and doesn't need to even read them but a press should be free. The journalists should go to the White House to do their job and ask difficult questions. When we talk about free speech, it's not good speech. It's about difficult speech. And I just believe that, you know, I should be, I should be allowed to do my job. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm old enough to remember that uh, when there was another journalist from uh, CNN who was uh, very rude yes to uh to one of the uh, the young ladies uh, during one of his questionings of then president trump and his hard pass was was revoked just temporarily he filed a lawsuit and you know everyone on the leftist 
uh, wing of of the press uh, was totally up in arms, and they thought that that was absolutely a violation of his First Amendment uh, rights in terms of freedom of the press, and um, and they they coalesced around that, and and ultimately, of course, Acosta came back and was able to continue in the press room. So, have you received similar support from um, no. either the leftist press, which they should no, treat no, you no, the I've same, not. or conservatives? I've not. For everyone listening to us now, in 2018, the headline of the New York Times was "Let Jim Acosta do his job." That was the headline of the New York Times in 2018. In 2023, the headline of the New York Times on me was, why, uh, why, is, why can't Simon Ateba stop shouting? So those are the issues <laughs> you, you clearly. You know, they try to do a hit job on me. The Washington Post is a disgrace. You know, no one should read the Washington Post. They, you know, they lied against me. And Politico recently did a hit piece on me. They lied against me. They didn't even talk to me. And they told their readers that they contacted Simon Ateba. It's a shame that people are still reading politicals. They become not journalists, but activists who are there to assassinate people. They try to assassinate my character. And when you try to assassinate people, character is not different from gunning them down on the street and they should be ashamed of themselves when i'm done with the lawsuit with the white house because i expect to win i will sue politico and sue the washington post and every single news outlet they assassinated my character and lied against me the bottom line is this journalists should be able to do their job they should be free they should be independent they should ask difficult questions and they don't need to be liked by the president or the press secretary they don't need to become friends with the press secretary they don't need to become activists and i understand how difficult it is because when you do the type of job that i do they exclude you they excluded me from the white house correspondence association excluded me from the white house correspondence association dinner with president biden and the first lady the food is awful but you know uh, it's just a, a, you know an opportunity to meet other people who do the same job as you and they, they made sure that i'm not there but you know i will keep doing my job and keep fighting and keep telling the truth and keep speaking the truth even in or outside of the white house but i want everyone listening now to keep praying for me and keep having me in that thought and follow me on twitter because that's the the only way i can express myself now Yes. Well, I follow you on Twitter and I'm always happy to uh, retweet anything that that you have that gets your uh, story out there and gets the truth out there. And you have been an advocate for the truth, for the freedom of the press. And I greatly respect you and your uh, perspective on this. And I hope that you do prevail in this lawsuit, because as you said, uh, Simon, you know, this is not only about freedom of the press and access to an administration that needs accountability, but you also don't deserve to then and have other press outlets saying things and uh, that are false against you and also uh, shading this in a way that makes it even more difficult for you to do your job. So we will be praying for you. And um, I really hope that you prevail in this lawsuit and you have a really great counsel. So Simon Ateba, thanks so much for joining me today. You can follow him at Simon Ateba on Twitter slash X, whatever we're calling it now. And we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. 
Welcome back. And I was just thinking uh, during the break how, you know, everyone is fighting a battle, it seems like, these days, especially conservatives and Christians who are trying to push back against the overwhelming opposition that we're facing in our culture. And, you know, I've known uh, Simon Etebas as a, a friend and, you know, someone who is great uh, in D.C. and does uh, such a good job. I've known him for several years now. And, um, you know, he, he really does take this seriously. And as um, as I was speaking to him, and, and if you're just joining us, you can listen uh, to the last segment at AFR.net, uh, the podcast later on in the program. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he is someone who really uh, does believe in the U.S. Constitution, um, believes in uh, the right to confront our uh, administration and our government with those uh, critical and sincere questions. And um, he's a person of faith as well and believes in God. And um, I, I do ask all of you to be praying for him and uh, be praying for him in the midst of this battle because it's hard enough when you have a battle that you're fighting and you are going against uh, what is almost an insurmountable opponent or it feels like that a lot. Um, but especially in Washington, D.C., I mean, I, I spent a number of years there um, during my time with President Trump and then, you know, right after um, before yay being in the in the free state of Florida. But um, it is just such a dark place, frankly. And um, for those of us who are conservatives, who are truth seekers and who want to protect and preserve the U.S. Constitution, it just sometimes feels like you're against such overwhelming odds. And. Um, everyone in the news media, um, you know, they, they're not favorable to uh, conservatives and certainly not to Christians. And as Simon was describing uh, how these other left wing outlets are treating him and how they're covering his story compared to how they covered uh, Jim Acosta, who is their colleague and who asks the preferred questions. And I mean, and, and remember during those press briefings when Jim Acosta was confronting uh, President Trump and everybody on the left was like, you know, go, this is, you're holding um, ac- accountable the president, you're speaking truth to power. And they were lauding him and he was almost like the celebrity and made the news about him. And and that was great to them. But then when the tables are turned and you get a Democrat in the White House and you actually have journalists that are willing to confront the Biden administration, well, now suddenly, oh, you're yelling, you're interrupting, you know, you're you're too emotional you know, or, or whatever they say. And all of these other headlines as as Simon was describing. And so it becomes. Um, even more difficult to stand for truth. And so I really genuinely respect people like Simon who are willing to stand for truth against the constant pressures of uh, everyone who is NDC that is so focused against conservatives. And we need to continue to pray for each other and to stand together and to be willing to confront the culture with the truth of the word of God and also uh, the truth about the U.S. Constitution. And we need to be willing to do that and willing to stand even if we stand alone. But it's always better when you stand together. And I know in my life, um, God has put um, some really amazing people, especially here here at AFR. I've been so blessed over this last year to get to know so many people, um, the Wildmans and, you know, so many people at AFR that have truly become 
um, really dear friends who who pray for me and um, and I pray for them, but are, but we pray for each other and support each other to continue to speak truth because it is hard, and uh, and especially when there is constant you know negativity from the media and they're not willing at most times uh, to cover you fairly. And I'm no stranger to that at all. And you know it is difficult. And a lot of times um, people ask me, you know, how do I deal with some of the constant just negativity, whether it's comments from, you know, bots or other accounts or whatever it is on uh, social media or negative press headlines or all of these other things. And I consistently have to go back to what God has called me to, which is my ministry to speak the truth and to continue to confront a lost culture with the truth and ultimately fulfill the Great Commission, which is to share the truth of the gospel of Christ. And with that, the blessings of liberty, which include protecting and preserving our U.S. Constitution and to uh, educate and encourage and equip other Christians and Christian conservatives to go out boldly and speak that truth as well. And it is always um, so encouraging to me daily. I hear from so many of you um, listeners that um, really, I, I just thank you so much for your encouragement because um, it is hard. And, you know, there are some times when I'm just like, you know what, I'm I'm going to close down social media today. I'm just, I'm done for the day and, and that's it. Um, but I get up the next day and I say, okay, today is a new day to do what God has for me today. And that's all that we can do. We have to be faithful to everything that God has given us to do. And remember that God is our only audience. The only person whose opinion I care about is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as long as I know that I am doing what he has for me today, I'm not worried about tomorrow, and I'm certainly not worried about anyone else's opinion of me. And interestingly, uh, when I only care about God's opinion of me, then the people uh, here on earth that I respect, then uh, their their opinion of me is just fine. And so no matter what anyone else says in mainstream media or, you know, whatever they say against me, um, it really doesn't ultimately matter because I know that I'm doing the next right thing. And uh, Philippians 4 has always been uh, a really encouraging passage for me. And it says, uh, rejoice, starting verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. And uh, this is such a, a great passage that generally gets split into two. Um, we tend to have, you know, verses four through six um, that, that is rejoice in the Lord and then be anxious for nothing. 
that part of it we we tend to look at when we are anxious or when we're worried about something. And then uh, when we are talking about um, virtue and when we're talking about how we should think about the world, then we tend to invoke uh, verse 8 that talks about whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, think and meditate on those things. Um, but really, this shouldn't be split into different passages. Um, the whole chapter and, you know, obviously the whole book um, to and this whole letter to the Philippians uh, needs to be taken together because if we are anxious, then we are focusing on something that is temporary. We're focusing on something that um, is either going on in our lives, is going on in the life of a loved one, is going on in culture, um, you know, any of those things. We're focusing on something else and we're worried about it instead of giving it to the Lord and saying um, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and leave it with God. So then what do we dwell on instead? Instead of being anxious and being worried, being concerned and dwelling on the problems that we all have or the frustrations we all have or whether it's hate on social media or, you know, things in the media like what Simon is dealing with, like what I've dealt with. Instead of being anxious and dwelling on those things, we need to give those to the Lord through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Thank God. Let your requests be made known. But then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds. Our minds, then if we are thinking truthfully, will then dictate our emotions. So then we go on to say, what, what do we dwell on instead? Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, things that are just, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, praiseworthy. The Bible says meditate on these things, the things which you learned. And this is where the knowledge of God comes into it. Because instead of worrying and being anxious, this verse is telling us, don't be anxious for anything, but give that to God and instead meditate on things that are true. And then we will have peace. We will have the peace of God, which passes all understanding. So many times people ask me, how do you have joy and happiness in the midst of, you know, all of the problems or all of the, uh, the daily harassment or, you know, all of these other things um, that, that I deal with on a daily basis? I just say, because ultimately I'm meditating on the things of the Lord. I'm filling my mind actively with things that are true, praiseworthy, and good. Instead of being anxious and dwelling on the things that are difficult in life, we are called to give those things to the Lord and then fill our mind with the truth. And not just the truth of emotion or, you know, even as, as great as it is to listen to um, to praise music and, and songs. And, and that's a great way to, to meditate on the things of the Lord and in prayer. Um, often, I mean, I start every morning um, listening to Christian music and starting my day with praising the Lord um, in the morning when I get coffee. And it's, you know, one of those rituals uh, that I do to start my day focused on the Lord instead of focused on anything else. Before I even read the news, before I even open up um, my social media accounts or my emails or anything like that, I start with meditating on the things of the Lord and praying. Uh, but then when we're, when we're called to meditate on the things that are true, 
the things that are noble, just, pure, praiseworthy, good report, virtuous. We have to know what those things are. And this is why the knowledge of the truth and the person of truth that is God is so important for the Christian. Because we can't meditate on the things that are true if we don't know the things that are true. And we don't know the sound doctrine. We aren't growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is why it is so important to daily be in the word of God and be reading the scripture for ourselves, be, be meditating on those things that are true. And um, my mom, who a lot of you know, is a, a biblical counselor and, um, you know, she's very well versed in, uh, in scripture and theology. And, and so is my dad, who's an elder at our church. Um, you know, we talk about this as, as a family quite often um, about how when we're feeling a certain way with emotion, um, emotion just reveals what we're thinking. If you're angry about something or if you're sad about something or if you're happy about something, I mean, any of those emotions, that just reveals what you're thinking. Then you have to ask yourself, am I thinking rightly? Am I thinking about this truthfully, biblically, according to scripture? And if you are and you feel sad or grief or anger, there can be righteous anger. Um, we know that from scripture. There absolutely can be righteous anger. That's when you are thinking truthfully, biblically and rightly about something. But if you have unrighteous anger, then you're not thinking about a situation or responding to it biblically and truthfully. And when you consider, am I thinking about a situation biblically, truthfully, rightly, then your emotions will line up with that. And so often there is this disconnect between how we feel and what is true. And this is why the Bible says we need to guard our mind through Christ Jesus, because that is also guarding how we feel, how we respond, and what our emotions are telling us and how we behave. And so my encouragement um, for you today as well, um, you know, in the midst of all of this that's going on, and I know that there's so much um, going on in the world every day, um, not just with situations like Simon's with um, the people, everyone that's affected um, on the island of Hawaii. And um, we're going to have um, in the next segment, a gentleman who was there and, and is going to give us uh, his story. And I know that Tulsi Gabbard was supposed to join us today. Um, she's exhausted from helping there. So she asked if she could postpone that. Hopefully we'll get her tomorrow. Um, and, and I, and I told her, you know, we are praying for all of the people who are affected. There's so much that, that goes on in the world. And that's a promise of God. We will face trials and tribulations, but he also says, be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. What does that mean? Well, no matter what we face on a daily basis, no matter what our circumstances are, as the Bible also says, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us because of truth. And that doesn't mean that we can literally do anything. I mean, I can't fly. I don't know if you can, but I can't. It means we can uh, find the truth in all circumstances. And no matter what God gives us in this life, we can look at it with truth. We can think about it rightly if we have a knowledge of the truth. 
And we need to be daily growing in the knowledge of the truth so that when we are confronted with difficult circumstances, we will already know how to think through that truthfully, biblically, rightly, so that we aren't dictated like the left wants us to be by our emotions, but we will always be focused on truth and meditating on the things of God and not being anxious for anything. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we are still continuing to pray for everyone who has been affected by the Maui wildfire. Uh, The death toll has risen to 93 as of the latest reports, making this the deadliest wildfire in over a century. Um, This is just horrific. Uh, Some of the pictures, it looks just apocalyptic. Um, on Maui. And uh, my cousin actually and her husband and son uh, live in Maui. And I've been uh, talking to her. Thankfully, they are okay. Um, They have they have been spared and their home uh, there. So we are very, very thankful for that. Um, but some of these stories that are coming out of Hawaii um, from the Citizen Free Press, for example, a Maui family survived the uh, Hawaii wildfires by hiding in the ocean for hours. Um, you know, Some of these videos that are coming out are just um, incredibly awful. And it, it just makes you wonder how this can happen in uh, today's society. We often think about some of these types of, of tragedies um, not being able to befall us in uh, 2023. And it is just a reminder that we should not take anything for granted and be grateful for God's continued protection. Um, then I want to welcome in Seth Talbot, um, who is an eyewitness to uh, what has uh, happened in Maui. His family was there during the wildfire, thankfully um, did escape, and I believe um, currently are in California. Um, but Seth, welcome. And um, first of all, I'm so grateful that your family is okay, but I know that you have an, um, an incredible story to tell about um, how you and your family survived uh, this wildfire. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're uh, back in Seattle. We were able to catch a flight um, late. Well, my I came out uh, separately. My family kind of came out in batches. There's a group of 15 of us that originally started. And so I think combined, we were on probably would have been six flights, six different flights getting back out. Um, but my family came back here to our home in, in the Seattle area. Uh, and I was the last one out with um, a couple of my kids uh, late Friday night. Wow. Um, so so you were there with a group of, you said, about 15 of, of your family members. So you were um, just, just yeah. there for vacation? Yeah. My parents uh, have made the Kanapali area their main kind of vacation spot for a long time. In fact, it actually goes back to my grandparents. Um, they they started they they passed about 20 years ago but they were uh regular maui kind of poly area uh visitors and so i think kind of started a tradition back mm. when the 747 first came out and all that stuff so anyways my dad has some great memories as a child he just was talking to us about it just a few days ago 
where uh, my dad's name is Pete, and they would say, send us Petey. And they put him on as a 10-year-old um, back in, and that would have been like 1950-something. So, yeah, that we've been going to that area as a family for a very long time. But we were in the Connipal area, which is just a few minutes north of Whaler's Village, which is just a little bit north of uh, Lahaina. And Lahaina is our main hangout area where we would go virtually every day. In fact, actually, I think we were there every day uh, of our trip, which was uh, supposed to be originally a nine-day trip to, uh, to Maui. Wow. So um, so you were there and then um, this wildfire started. And my, my understanding from some of the reports is that um, this started, but because of, you know, hurricane strength winds, that's what caused this to uh, just completely rip through yeah. this city so quickly. Um, so when did yeah. you first learn that this was going on and, and what happened? Yeah, so we were experiencing the, some pretty crazy winds. We had just had our kind of typical visits. Uh, in fact, we had just done parasailing with my little ones. I have uh, a very large family of seven. And so I'd taken my littlest three uh, who have been to Hawaii before. So this was our second trip uh, with that group of, of kids. And um, we had just experienced some pretty high winds when we were parasailing, but nothing crazy. But then within really short period of time the winds started getting crazy and it was we'd heard about the hurricane offshore uh and that night of uh i think it was the seventh so sorry for sorry for this it's going to be kind of funky with with dates because uh it all kind of blurs together so i may get understandable wrong here i apologize um but the winds the winds were if, if i remember correctly were pretty crazy for a couple of days in fact my wife and uh, oldest child, my daughter, were on the beach, and they, they came off the beach pretty quickly because it was their legs were getting basically sandblasted because the winds were so so hard that I don't. We never took the other kids to the beach to play because it was so. From that point on, it was so so windy, and the trees were just going crazy. So that night, the power went out. I think for us it was it was past midnight at some point, and we assumed that you know everything was going to be normal uh, and that they'd restore it. But when we woke up, there there wasn't any power. So I got up that morning uh, and jumped in the car and went out of range because we had cell phone for at first, and then it went dead, and we couldn't get out. We couldn't get signal out so we started wandering around so i spent that day that first part of the day trying to get cell signal so i took off south uh past lahaina so i went south past lahaina uh and kept on going and i went to a circle k and a uh, carl's jr and got 60 pounds of ice because we had stopped at costco on the way back on the way from the airport to the hotel so that we could you know, cook and whatever for the 15 people. So we had a ton of food that was going to go bad. So I t- took off and got ice and gas, the, the minivan, uh, on the way back. And in fact, I, I sent this to the, to, uh, someone to, so to show you that my wife took a, a location picture and the last reported location 
for me was in downtown Lahaina, and then she lost all tracking of me. Uh, so it was kind of eerie because you look back on it, and it was the day that Lahaina burned down, her last known wow. location of me. Though at the time, she didn't know Lahaina was in trouble because what was odd was that the uh, fire services or I think a citizen alerts, whatever, was telling us that the Lahaina fire was contained. And the city wasn't burning at that point that we knew of. So I took off with uh, two of my little guys, uh, got ice, and was coming back. We had to Mad Max it on the way back, and we went off road to um, roads that were unpublished. Uh, It showed us taking an hour and a half to get back, and this is when I first started getting concerned there was something else going on, was on our way back. We couldn't really get back shorter than an hour and a half, and it was about a 10-minute drive normally. So we ended up going on this road that hasn't been used for clearly decades. And, and was, was that just like because there were, there were so much traffic trying to get out or like roadblocks or what was going on? It looked like they were starting to shut it down. I wasn't sure. Um, you know, with the GPS, when I did have connectivity, it was updating traffic estimates and it was showing to be pretty accurate. So I uh, just decided to see if this route would get us back because I knew that we just basically needed to go north and there weren't that many other ways to go but north. And so I just ventured out and found my way back only to find out that that was essentially when the day, that was the day that Lahaina started to burn, which we didn't know. So I got back, loaded the fridges and freezers with ice and we started foraging for food in the town with food trucks and it, it was it was kind of nuts. Uh, spent that night without power, thinking, okay, it's going to turn on any minute now. You know, just with normal stuff, you would expect there to be a brief outage, maybe a day. But uh, it didn't come back. That morning, we found out the line had burned down. And the troubling part was that we were blocked off. And this is where this is where Maui has a real problem is that there wasn't any reasonable egress to get out and back to the airport. And so with that road being down, I think it's Highway 30, um, you couldn't get through and you could go north. But the problem in our situation was that the other group with us, their minivan had a third of gas. They didn't go and regas with me. So we were being told, okay, that route is seven to eight hours and it's the only way out. And in fact, on the map, it's blocked off and it shows red. I've never seen this on the map, actually, where it's like, yeah, this is technically a road, but you can't use it normally. So they're telling us that was the only way, essentially, to safety. And then they're telling us not to do it. So this is this is the day when it started to get pretty sketchy because the neighbors that were local wanted us to leave. We're starting to get itchy. And then this is when we started meeting people that were losing their homes. And that's mm-hmm. where it kind of... That's when it really got surreal was we're standing in line. In fact, my dad waited two hours to get some Mexican food, and he stood in line with a lady called uh, named Iris. And she lost her home, and her mom lost her home. And she's standing there casually waiting in line for some empanadas with us, and she lost everything, and she said all the, everything she had was on her back. So this is this is started to become very surreal because I had spread out throughout the town with my oldest son and my dad getting food. I started buying food out of the back of a restaurant for cash. 
um, and preparing for the worst because we didn't really know how long we were going to be there. And um, we started just running into people that were starting to get desperate and locals as we were walking back and forth in the Kanapali. We were at the Papaea uh, Resort. We just started, just go a little north and you're very local where it's way less touristy and it, it feels a lot more local. And we started overhearing people moaning and, and, and discussing the huge tragedy and loss. So that's where it started to get like, oh my gosh, what just happened? And uh, we still couldn't get out. So then um, next day we're, we're trying to figure out how to get out, and especially with the gas issue. So they're telling us that the road is closed. But what was really frustrating was that there was no solid communication. Our resort did a good job attempting to give us, get us updated, but we were getting bad information. And it was, it was kind of weird realizing, okay, cell phones down. Uh, they're not bringing resources to us. People were doing the best, but people were starting to get hungry. And we were in a little tricky situation because we did have food, but we realized the people around us didn't. And I, I knew that the civil, uh, <laughs> the, the civility of the locals and even those without food was, was going to be sketchy here. So uh, we started discussing, is there a way for us to just get out of there? They, in, and the other part was they were telling us that the fire was getting closer. So there's this sort of ominous, well, go if you can, but you or can't stay get and out just see if yes, yeah, stay and see if the fire uh, you know comes and reaches you. And I'm talking with Seth Talbot, who was there uh, in Maui during these fires. So, so how did you then um, eventually, you and your family, um, you decided then to leave, and and you actually uh, did get out, thankfully. Yeah. So we uh, realized that that we we got word that they were taking shuttles from the Sheraton. Problem with that is that we were getting conflicting information. In fact, my dad was told radically different, um, conflicting parts of that while we were preparing. So it's one of those situations where my dad's, my mom and dad are in the mid seventies. They had planned on staying even longer than we were. So I had to tell them, I said, guys, you, you need to go. And they, they weren't thinking that it was going to be that. I, I, I don't know how serious they were about leaving at that point. I just said, you know, we've got to look after you. Can you please just let us tell you what to do here? And he said, of course, do, do you know, what, what do we need to do? And so I um, loaded him in my minivan and we just ventured to Whaler's Village. Uh, this was pretty late at night. And we just saw a stream of uh, buses, although we couldn't tell in the dark. So this, it was very, very dark. Obviously, all the power's out. And I just saw the stream of yellow lights, which looked like buses. And sure enough, we got there, and we were able to load them, and someone very quickly got them on the on the bus. Then I had to make my way back to my family, where we then loaded up and tried to venture out. So that's when they told us that the roads were fully, fully open. And then we had the decision to make of, do we make a run for it? And does my brother and his family make a run for it just because they had a third of tank? So this we, is just, it's its off. incredible. And, and just in the last uh, couple of minutes I have with you, um, Seth Talbot, and I'm so grateful that your entire family was able to get out and um, that you are okay. Um, you know, you've described this 
just difficult loss um, for so many people. Um, what is that has that meant to you and your family? Because obviously this is a very special area for you. Well, it was weird. We were uh, we actually st- stayed a night in the shelter um, and slept in the car, and we were amongst mainly those that lost their homes. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to look at Maui and realize that um, there's so much rebuilding and just complete devastating loss. And so it's really weird to realize you're on vacation. We eventually got out of batches, but you're eating, you know, pre-made sandwiches next to people that have lost everything in the rebuilding. Yeah, and, and we're praying for them. And Seth Talbot, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Continue to pray for everyone on Maui. And we'll be back with more tomorrow on Jenna Ellis in the The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.